we're very serious about the business, but we're not serious about ourselves, if that makes sense. Sales is not about, you know, that one big deal. The higher you are in the organization, the greater the shadow. All right, Liam, welcome to uh, the Sound of Sales today. Thank you, Brian, and I appreciate the uh, invite to participate. If uh, if I would call up your children right now and I ask them what their dad does for a living, what would they reply to me? Yeah, it's a good uh, it's a good question. I, uh, they they tell they probably tell you that I uh, that I that I lead sales teams at LinkedIn. Beyond that, I I don't think they uh, actually that's not that, that's not that's not entirely true. I do have uh, one of my kids who. Um, She's working in tech, and uh, she was working in tech as a marketing manager, and uh, so she knows what I do because she was using uh, LinkedIn and LinkedIn Sales Navigator at, at the company that uh, she was working at. Okay, so so she has a little bit more understanding of what we do at LinkedIn uh, than the other four kids. So um, yeah, it's a it's funny when, when I used to work for Dell, when I used to work for uh, Fujitsu Siemens, and my kids were much smaller. Uh, when people used to ask uh, them what their dad did, they say, "Well, he, he fixes computers, right?" So, uh, so they've evolved. They've evolved on from that as they as they've gotten older. Yeah, yeah, and I, th I think um, once you're in marketing or sales, everyone knows uh, the LinkedIn sales solutions, of course, uh, with the the most well known being Sales Navigator. I would say, um, how did you get to LinkedIn? Well, uh, through a very long journey that started in 1985, uh, I left secondary school or high school, um, as our American friends would, would call it, in uh, 1985. Uh, I initially, um, initially had been thinking about going to college um, to study computer science. Actually, when I was 16, uh, I wrote to computer programs, video games uh, that I managed to sell to a um, to a software company back then uh, that was based on the the days of the Sinclair Spectrum and the Auric Atmos and those types of uh, devices. And, and that market actually imploded as Sega and Nintendo launched the mm -hmm. consoles where to play a video game. You just stuck in a cartridge instead of having to wait uh, 35 or 40 minutes to uh, for a cassette tape to uh, to to, to load up those people who, who are watching this and don't know what a cassette tape is uh, ask your parents right so uh, <laughs> the uh, but you know that whole industry changed and actually as I, as I was getting ready to leave high school um, I had been doing some part-time work with uh, one of Ireland's uh, leading supermarket chains they offered me a job as a training manager which I did for three years got a huge amount of experience uh, I did night school um, as, as part of that twice a week and you know learned about HR learned about management learned about uh, retail and legal and all that sort of all that sort of stuff but um, three years into that I uh, through a friend of mine I got an opportunity to get into sales and my first sales job actually was in uh, Germany selling cars um, to American uh, military personnel. 
Um, and from there, I came back to Ireland in 1991, uh, got involved uh, working for Canon. Uh, so now I was in the B2B world, and I've been in the B2B sales world since then. Um, and you know, worked for Canon as a rep, um, worked for Panasonic as a rep a couple of uh, years later. Um, and then in 1999, I joined um, Siemens um, as a sales manager uh, for their channel sales business. So because when I went from Canon to Panasonic, I went from direct sales to channel enabled sales. And then that facilitated me uh, getting a job as a manager uh, with Siemens a couple of years later. I also worked for Brother for a couple of, for a couple of years. Um, and that sort of um, was what I would say the beginning of me getting into the IT space. So I, I went from Siemens, the division that I worked for in Siemens, it was the uh, computer and server and all that sort of mainframe um, part of the business. And that morphed uh, very quickly into a company that was called Fujitsu Siemens. And uh, it was 50% owned by Fujitsu, 50% owned by uh, Siemens. Um, and I uh, was there for 11 years um, and started as the uh, channel sales manager uh, and I finished as the managing director. Um, and then from there, I went to uh, uh, lead sales and marketing at an Irish company that was just very, for two years, a very interesting um, exercise. There's a company called PFH Technology, one of the larger um, IT and systems integration uh, companies in Ireland. From there to Dell, um, I was at Dell for five years. And then, uh, then just over uh, six and a half years ago, LinkedIn approached me for um, the role that I have today, which is leading the sales solutions business in uh, EMEA and LATAM. So there's like 37 years of work history in a flash. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> it's a, it's quite a, a growth curve. It's, um, it's something I think some people can't wrap their head around it. That at some point, LinkedIn knocks your door and says, I want you. <laughs> what what does that do? Is is it still special that one of the largest companies in the world? Of course, you were also working at another large company, but mm. um, what does it do to you as a person when when that email or how did they approach you? Yeah, I mean, I've been a I've been a member of LinkedIn for, since about two thousand six, I believe. Um, so you know, a couple of years after LinkedIn started, uh, I got introduced to LinkedIn by. Uh, my very first connection on LinkedIn is a gentleman called David Sibley. He uh, he's now retired, but he was running a company called People Achieving. I think the name of the company was, and uh, they did some work with us at Fujitsu Siemens about um, enterprise account management, enterprise acquisition strategies. And as part of that, Dave introduced me to uh, LinkedIn, and LinkedIn uh, at that point had three and a half million members, I believe, uh, mm -hmm. globally, and now it's over eight hundred and fifty million. And and so when so when LinkedIn approached me, um, I, I would say I had a um, peripheral knowledge of the specific products at LinkedIn, but um, LinkedIn had played a strong part in the success of my teams at. Uh, at Dell and at PFH Technology and, and also uh, at, at Fujitsu Siemens. Uh, and really from, from my perspective, Bram, it was about um, what is it that LinkedIn wanted me to do? Right? And, and, and at that moment in time, uh, the sales solutions business was um, 
pretty successful. It, it, it had an initial uh, virality and land and expand strategy. But was that that tipping point of uh, needing to have a bit more structure um, and a bit more enterprise sales as you know, pivoting from selling to uh, to to managers and directors who would buy for their team to looking at enterprise wide sales and mm-hmm. um, and you know I, it, it the the process of LinkedIn talking to me to uh, me and LinkedIn deciding to do something together was around about five and a half months and and you know really getting uh, a real understanding of was I the right person for uh, for LinkedIn, but equally as well, was LinkedIn the right vehicle uh, for me? What appealed greatly about, um, about that role was uh, that the business uh, was about, you know, elevating the sales profession and, and, and making uh, sales more professional. And that's something that I've uh, been quite passionate about throughout my career is that, uh, you know, it, it is interesting that, um, the, you know, sales has been for me an extremely rewarding career as, as it has been for, you know, many of my uh, friends and colleagues o- o- over the years. However, um you know, I think it's more of a European thing that people um, people are not necessarily um, overtly proud to say I'm in sales. Right? Yeah. It's a yeah. you know the the you know I often think about the you know the when when uh, parents are talking about what their children are doing. You know the 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 the, the, the lady who has a son or a daughter that's a doctor is at the front of the queue to answer the question. Oh, what are your kids doing these days? Right. The person who's uh, you know whose son or daughter is a sales director or a, or a top rep at a company. Uh, you know, I think it, it's it's not there. It's not there as a hey. When I grow up, I want to be in sales. Okay, albeit you know, mm-hmm. extremely rewarding, extremely professional careers. And also, I think you know the um, the reputation of sales. Uh, in some categorizations, uh, you know, there are some sales professions that um, have a um, you know a negative connotation. You know, often hear people uh, talking in a uh, derogatory manner about, uh, well, you know, that person's a used car salesperson, right? and and so so for me, in terms of you know having an opportunity to uh, to talk to. To other business leaders and sales leaders about you know how we can continually push the professionalism, the quality of outreach. I was pretty excited by that. And that for me was the uh, the, the 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 thing that um, that got me to resign from a job at Dell where I was extremely happy. I spent five of the best years of my uh, career. Uh, during my time at Dell, it was a difficult thing for me to do to leave that job because I loved working for uh, for Dell. But I also, you know, I bought into uh, the vision um, that Mike Derrison inquired me into LinkedIn had, which was uh, that as LinkedIn is, you know, connecting the world's professionals uh, and creating a, a economic opportunity for every member of the global workforce, that what we were doing as part of that was making salespeople more productive and successful, but also at the same time, elevating the sales profession and allowing people to have a better approach to their customers, which suited the customer, but also uh, was just a more professional way to, to do that. So, uh, so that's what that's what I went through when uh, when LinkedIn uh, reached out to me, and, uh, and, and we spent five months 
um, talking about joining. That's pretty cool. Well, if you look back to when you first started and now, um, what would you say was your biggest impact on the business? Yeah, I think it, you know the, the 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 biggest impact that I believe I've had on the business. You know, we've um, in the, the six years I've worked for Sales Solutions, we've you know seven x the business. Um, you know, I can about a year ago, coming up on a year ago. Um, Microsoft, we're, we're owned by Microsoft, and Amy Hood shared as part of one of the Microsoft quarterly calls that the cell solutions business in our fiscal year 21, so last, uh, last year, uh, we exceeded $1 billion in annual recurring revenue. Uh, for, uh, for 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 here, and there you know there are very few SaaS based businesses that have gotten to that level uh, of annual recurring revenue. So uh, so 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 part of uh, my contribution to that is uh, is is getting to a level where it's it's not about a a, a bunch of super clever people. It is about a super bu- a, a clever people, but it's about having a systematic approach. Um, the, uh, of what you're doing and moving from selling to uh, individuals at companies to selling to the organization and focusing on organizational value. So, so really, you know, putting in place, hey, what works for us? What works for customers? How do we do more of that? How do we make it repeatable? How do we make it scalable? As opposed to harnessing the energy of um, a sales team who just happen to all be doing individually great things. It's about you know harnessing that power, but making it in a way that it's um, standardized without being boring and standardized without dampening down innovation, but at the same time focusing on fewer things to be done better and making sure that those things are repeatable and importantly scalable. So if I was if I was about to ask you that um, I have a team of 100,000 salespeople and I want them to be great, but we're only allowed or you're only allowed to give them three guiding principles. Um, and these can be anything. It can be philosophy or an idea or whatever you, you have in mind. Yeah. But we can only give them three. What, what would the three principles be? Yeah, I, I think it's 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 it's, um, you know, some some advice that, you know, I've given people over over time is there's actually three things that impact your performance. Um, first of all, there's your motivation and your drive, right? So, um, and, 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 and the second thing is your skills and your knowledge. And the third thing is your activity. And uh, as a salesperson, as a business, managing those three things in the right proportions will lead to your success. So for example, you can have somebody who has a tremendous amount of product knowledge and market knowledge, who is extremely motivated and and therefore that enthusiasm is infectious. But if they speak to two customers in a month, they're, you know, it's, they're not going to be successful. Okay. On 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 the reverse of that, you can have somebody who's not so knowledgeable, not so skillful, uh, who is equally motivated, and they see 100 customers a month, that person's going to get lucky. Now, you know, so, 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 so ideally what you want is you want somebody who has the right level of skills and knowledge, who is highly motivated and driven, 
and uh, does the right level of activity, which will determine their, their success. And really, it's it's I, 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 my advice I give to people is figure out what the key things are in each one of those boxes. Now, from a, I've often said to people, hey, your motivation and drive, the company that you work for, the manager that you work for, plays a role in that. There's no point in you coming to the office today or being in a, in a remote situation and being, hey, I'm up for it today. And your first interaction with your manager takes the wind out of your sails. And so, so, so the company and the and your manager have a have a role in that. It's a, it's almost 50-50. When it comes to your skills and knowledge, uh, that's also a cooperative thing. It's like, hey, you're, the company and the manager you work for have a responsibility to improve your skills and knowledge. But equally, you've got to have a growth mindset and you've got to have a an approach which is, hey, I should always constantly be learning and improving, improving my knowledge. But when it comes down to activity, 90% is on you and 10% is on the company or the manager that you're working for. And the 10% is on the company and manager is for that company and a manager to be minimizing the amount of time that you're not doing stuff that's going to help you achieve your goals. And you know, so not having unnecessary uh, sales meetings every day or whatever the, the, the right cadence is, depending on different companies. But you know, if, if, if companies and individuals focus on those three buckets or three uh, areas and have those in the right proportion, then just success becomes inevitable. I think the manager aspect in there is super important. Um, you hear that from a lot of salespeople that if the Absolutely. manager brings stress to the table, it infects everyone on the team. Mm -hmm. um, how do you try to be the best manager possible to your team? Yeah, I, I think it, it's, it's about um, showing up as the person that needs to be in the room at the time. Uh, so, uh, and that is that... Your the depending on the, the 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 higher you are in the organization, the greater the shadow that you cast on the organization, and also, um, you, you know, I often say this to managers: is like, hey, imagine a scenario we're in the office, and uh, and I am sitting at my desk, look, you know, looking like I am, you know, like in the worst pain in the world. And I'm clasping my head in my hands, okay? Now, people are looking at me going, there must be something going on. The business must be in trouble. Like, the, 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 whereas if it's one of their colleagues, they'll walk over to them and say, hey, are you okay? And it's like, oh, yeah, I've like got this massive headache and I've had it all day. You know, so, so therefore, you know, everything that, you do as a manager has a multiple of interpretations by people. So therefore, you know, you have got to show up with intention. So if your intention is, hey, we need to be very serious about this topic. You know, the I need everybody's intention is that that it's it's that's the intention. Uh, if it's um, you know work has to be fun um, and, and therefore you know having that intention to go, it, it's fun when it's fun. We're serious when we're serious. And really trying to be as transparent as possible so that people are not filling in the blanks um, and trying to read between the lines, even if it's if it's not between the lines. And I think you know the 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 
the, whoever's leading a business or leading a division um, is important to the the cultural zeitgeist of, of that team or, or, or that business. But the most important person is the individual manager that you that you report to. That's the person that is 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 a, is that last mile of motivation. That's that person where if you love working for the company that you work for, you are inspired by the CEO or by the divisional leader. But if you're if you're not inspired by the person that you have to have one-to-ones with, that that you are dependent on for individual coaching, you're going to leave that company. Right. And, 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 and also you're not going to be at your best. And, you know, when I think about my career, it's the people that I reported to at individual points in time made the difference to me, not the companies that I worked for, not the roles that I had. It was that, that, you know, that the various people that I've worked for over the years have invested in me and invested in the relationship with me as a as a person on their team, right? And that's the it's a it's a it's a critical difference. Mm-hmm. If you look back to these people, um, what what particular situation shaped you to be the leader that you are today? Yeah, it's a great question. I think that you know, there's you know, I've worked for some incredibly phenomenal. Uh, people and but the one that stands out for me in the in the arc of my of my career is that um, in, in around 2002 um, I got a new boss at Fujitsu Siemens uh, Computers and I at the time uh, I was the channel and consumer sales director I think I had about 16 people working downstream of me in the two different parts of of the business and we were extremely successful like we were like. Uh, in the consumer business, we were number two behind Dell in Ireland. Um, you know, our channel business, we were, you know, everything that could be green from a metrics perspective for that team, um, um, relative to our peers and the rest of EMEA, we were, we, we were, if we weren't number one, we were number two, right? Highly performing team. And I remember my, my, my new boss, a lady called Neve Spellman, uh, sitting me down after her sort of 30, 60, 90 day observation thing and, and saying, hey, I've got some feedback for you. Um, and um, here it comes. Uh, it was um, with the way you manage, you have reached the pinnacle of your career. And for me, that was a little bit shocking because it was like, whoa, you know, and if I'm honest about it, I was um, somewhat um insulted by it because like hey you know i'm fantastic right like it's me right look at what my team have done we're we're great like why are you giving me like you know negative feedback on 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 what we're doing Uh, and and she was very clear on what she meant because i had a style of management back then which was literally um, and, and, you know, she followed on saying, I could tell you were a computer programmer because your approach to management is the same as the someone's approach to computing, right? And literally, I would, my team would get instructions like this from me. It was like, do this. If this happens, do this. If this happens, then do this. And if this happens, <laughs> do this, this, or this. And if this happens, come back to me, okay, for further instructions, right? And that literally was... You know, and, and her point was that, hey, you're doing a great job of managing 16 people. 
um, somewhere between 12, 16, I can't remember the specifics, but if, if you need to manage 100 people, this is not going to work for you because you don't have enough hours in the day to be able to punch card program your people. And also, um, your people won't do anything without coming to you for specific instructions. And, and what I would say is that you know, that for me, Bram, was the most important conversation that anybody had with me in the entirety of my career. Because what it meant was I needed to either accept that she was right and, and, and act on that. Uh, and had I not, I wouldn't have had all the jobs that I've had since then. And I certainly wouldn't be leading, um, leading the sales solutions business for, for LinkedIn. And, and what that meant was that I had to literally go back and rebuild my approach to uh, to, to, to management because she was absolutely right. I was literally running out of hours in a day to be able to effectively tell people what to do. And so that was the moment that I flipped over from, hey, everybody needs to be like me. Everyone has to do it the way I would do it because I was effectively using my team as a as an extension of me, right? Because uh, and, uh, and, and that was the wrong thing to do. But that's the conversation that changed the trajectory uh, and changed the potential of the career that I've had uh, since then. And I'm immensely grateful uh, to Neve for that. <laughs> it's, um, I think it's, it's harsh feedback to hear at first, but then if you come to think about it, it the, the way that that person managed you tells a lot about um, what more people should hear nowadays as well, I think is not only the bad, the good, but the opportunity that is in there. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm personally, you know, have been for a long, long time. I, I, I'm a personal fan of the direct, open, honest, and constructive feedback. Um, and, you know, it is interesting, you know, one of, uh, from a LinkedIn culture values perspective, open, honest, and constructive is a strong value within, uh, within LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. How many people today rely on you as a manager or as a leader personally i have four direct reports um we have close on um 350 400 people across the sales solutions organization uh in in a, in, a, in emea uh but i i've three i've uh, three direct reports who lead sales divisions uh for me as part of the emea time business so so not a lot of individual reports um, it has been as high as five, but right now it's three, and I feel three is the right number. Um, but you know what, what I would say is that from you know, I think hopefully if you talk to my team. Uh, I, I'm very much um, a uh, an accessible uh, person for the entirety of the team. So if somebody wants to ping me on Teams or call me on my, on my phone or, or whatever to have a, a quick five-minute chat about a deal or a customer situation or uh, or a career conversation, etc., uh, more than happy to uh, get involved up and down the organization. So, mm -hmm. um, and it is interesting, the, the, the thing you asked me, Ron, about impact, the thing I'm probably most... Um, happy about about the the impact of the the arc of my career i've literally had thousands of people who've worked with me 
uh, over uh, over over those years. And uh, for me, what's great to see, like that, you know, that that channel sales team uh, at Fujitsu Siemens. There's a number of people that worked on that team. Um, that are now leading, uh, you know, their sales directors. They're they're leading uh, businesses, uh, managing a needs style, not my original style. Hopefully, and uh, hopefully they, they learn from the latter part of our interaction, and not the the early part of our interaction. And it's just the, the, to be able to see the impact that you've had on the careers of people uh, throughout those years is uh, is great. Yeah, and I think um, you're touching right now way more people even though you have three direct reports it's what they um or what they bring across to the people they um they manage basically um because if if you are doing a stressy job or not giving them the right feedback uh, on what is happening then that will circle down all the way and you probably wouldn't be able to do the seven figure or the the multiplier that you did um within those years yeah, I think you know, in terms of um, the, the you know, if you look at, at how modern businesses operate versus how businesses operated in the eighties and nineties and and way before that, is that um, you know very much the standard management approach in years gone by was you know very militaristic, right? It's command and control, right? It's that every every level up had more information. Um, you know, it, it was a, it was a, it was about you know that that phrase information is power, and and often you know there was information about the business that people wouldn't be know about, and it was all about getting layers of permission. Uh, whereas if we if you look at you know many organizations today, they're much more democratic, they're much more inclusive. Uh, information is distributed evenly in the org. In fact, I would say that 99% of what I know about our business is available and also known by everybody who's in the, in, in, in the business. So there's this thing of, you know, leaders, you know, keeping information from people um, is, you know, it's just not there. Obviously person A and person B, they, you know, they're not able to see uh, their individual uh, personnel records, which obviously I have access to, but you know, it, it, or commission payments and things like that. But but the information about the business, how we're performing, what we're planning to do, that is very very democratized. And, and it's and so today, leadership is not about command and control; it's about empowerment and scale. And and therefore, you know, my my my, my job is to empower my team to make sure that they're empowering their teams. Uh, and to uh, really lean into uh, coaching versus direction, and you know there will be times that you know you you have to be uh, get into a direction phase. Is hey, we're introducing a new product, and uh, so everybody has to participate. Okay, as opposed to uh, you know it being a um, a um, a buffet of choosing what to do, but but in terms of how you how you structure and do your day to day job. Uh, as long as your inputs and outputs are consistent, uh, then we want to empower you to do the best thing for you and for your customer. That's super important as well. Now, um, pretty soon you're going to leave this ship, um, LinkedIn heaven, as it may sound. Um, 
if I if I would call up one of your three reports after after you left and I asked them what was Liam good at for you, what would you hope or think they would say to me? Yeah, I think that you know one of the things that um, I think there's two things that, um, that 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 I add some value on to my direct reports. First is that having very honest conversations with them about uh, you know calling calling things as they are. Hey, this is what this looks like. What are we gonna What are we gonna do about it? Um, and you know not beating around the bush when it comes to uh, giving constructive feedback. Um, and the second thing is uh, ensuring that we don't take ourselves too seriously, right? Is that, you know, getting, like, we're very serious about the business, but we're not serious about ourselves, if that makes sense. So, yeah. so making sure that, hey, you know, there, there are very few situations in a work context where you can't bring some amount of levity uh, or humor to the to the situation you know even if it's a, a difficult situation it's a difficult uh, customer situation we shouldn't get to a point where we get so serious that it's bringing stress into uh, into people's uh, jobs and you know there you know, I often say hey you know there are truly stressful jobs you know at the end of the day we may feel under stress but if something doesn't happen at linkedin nobody dies you know in nobody gets nobody gets hurt you know it's uh um and, and therefore you know our business is serious but let's keep it in the con let's keep it in context as well you know i i, I want the i'm flying to um to the uk tomorrow I want the air traffic controllers to uh, do a really good job uh, between Ireland and Scotland, you know, because if they don't do their job, serious things, serious things happen. Okay. But, but it's, it's really, I think, you know, being, being open, honest and constructive uh, and having some fun. What's yeah. being serious about the business. Yeah. What you, what you said about the stress is I think something um, you learn to deal with over the years. I think if, if a new account executive or a new rep starts at LinkedIn coming from, I don't know where, um, mm -hmm. they might feel this seriousness. Like I'm stepping into a big organization. It's going to be a heavy load on my shoulders. And it impacts, I think, their their work, their mental health, their feeling. Mm -hmm. um, how, how do you make sure that the upper management or these, these leaders, that um, they can take away that seriousness? Yeah, I, I think it, 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 it's, I suppose there's a couple of things. One is that um, the, the fear, you know, fear of failure, fear of lots of different things, um, it, it, it's almost a self-perpetuating um, uh, prophecy of you. If you, if you're, if you are concerned that you're not going to be successful and you spend all your time worrying about not being successful, it's going to come true. It, 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 it's the same reason why, you know, if in this room I had to walk from, you know, like it's what, 18 feet wide. If I had to walk from one end of the room to the other end of the room within a, you know, a 30 centimeter band, I could do that all day, every day. 
if you then took me to the top of the Empire State Building in New York and said, now all you have got to do is walk across this like 30 centimeter uh, space, uh, you, you wouldn't be able to, you know, the, the fear of doing that, well, certainly for me, I, I, I would not would not be a positive, a, a positive experience for me, but it, it's, 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 it's taking and dealing with that fear in context. And that is, um, if I'm not able to do that here, there's no consequence. If I'm not able to do it in the Empire State Building, there's a massive consequence. And I think it's putting the consequence then into context. You know, so if you so if you are working for a company and you are doing your best and it doesn't work out, then hey, that doesn't mean that you're a failure. It means you're that that's not the right environment for you. That there's an environment for everybody. Everybody has greatness in them. They just need to find their place. They need to find their thing. And uh, so I think, you know, the advice I would give people early in career is, you know, find the, find the thing that you know you can do and keep all the stress and, and keep all that consequence in, um, in, in perspective. It's about the perspective of what's the, what's the, what's the jeopardy. I think with, with sales, Bram, the, 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 it's it's got the potential to be hugely rewarding, but it does come with the stress of the unknown, right? It's uh, and and therefore, um, it, it. But you just you need to accept that as it's part of the environment. And if you can if you can do that, if you if you if you're in sales and you are you know absolutely paralyzed by fear and anxiety, maybe sales is not your thing. You know, maybe you need to find something that's a little bit more. Uh, hey, you, 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 you have a defined input, a defined output as a result of that, and therefore uh, you, you know, you're not feeling that uncertainty. I think that that's reflected in the opportunity, you know, the earning opportunity that a sales career offers people. Is that you know, it's it's generally in most organizations that I've worked for in, in those 37 years, the salespeople will be some of the highest paid salespeople at the company, even if that's an engineering company or it's a product company or it's a software company, you typically get that the sales the sales community are amongst the higher earners in the in those companies. Yeah, and I think that's where the stress sometimes comes from with newcomers is that there's a high reward and that brings again the stress with it because in sales you have to people people often like you said in the beginning they often think um, diminifying about it uh, because everyone can do it everyone can but if it's it's not the case you often need a certain amount of skills a certain amount of skill set uh, how to craft your emails how to do cold calling like all that stuff um, which brings extra stress in the situation where there's a quota above your head yeah, I, I, look, I think it, it, it's it's like anything in life, you know. It's it, it, it's um, you know, I'd love to be able to play the piano. I'd love to be able to play the guitar. I'd be much cooler if I could do either of those two things. But I, I don't actually have musical aptitude, and you know, it, it is because I've I've tried both of those things. It's terrible, right? and I, and and as for singing, I definitely can't sing. So so there, that's not my thing. You know, so, 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 so you have to have a core 
natural aptitude. And then on top of that, you can build the skills, the knowledge, you can, you know, like I didn't come out of high school knowing how to structure an account plan or a pursuit plan for a large enterprise company. Um, I know how to do that now um, because, you know, I've, I've received training and, I've, and people have opened my mind in terms of, you know, a, a process and methodology, uh, et cetera. So, so but, but you need the natural aptitude. And if you have the natural aptitude, the stress should become secondary because, um, it's a it's it's a it's a process, you know. Like right right now, I can advise somebody that hey, to be successful doing a specific job at LinkedIn Sales Solutions, here's how you need to be thinking about the sort of pipeline you need to be generating, the conversations you need to have with your customer, the knowledge that you have around uh, around our products and our services, and if you uh, if you have that knowledge, you. Uh, bring it to your customer, you, know, you do the right level of activity, uh, then success becomes inevitable. Um, but you have to do all of those things. Um, you know, sales is not about, you know, that one big deal. Um, you know, it's great when people, you know, win a large deal, an expansion with an existing customer or a new customer. But often it's the, it's the process run rate driven activities that you need to do. And if you're not doing them, you're not going to be rewarded by your customer because you're not, you know, you, you, it, it's a process. And therefore, if you extrapolate that, it's no different to if your job was working in a warehouse and you have to move boxes from a production line into the back of a truck. There's a certain amount of, there's a way of doing it. There's a certain amount of them that you need to move every day in order to be deemed successful. It's really breaking it down into if you're doing the right things, if you've got the right skills and knowledge, you've got the right motivation, and your company is offering value to the customers that it's trying to serve, success becomes inevitable. In all those years that you managed people and, and you've seen a lot of them, what do you think is the biggest difference there between that 1% of salespeople and the, the B-plus players? Yeah, I, 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 I think for me, it, it, it's, it's about people who uh, put themselves last in the pecking order. And what I mean by that is that the first people they think about is their customer. Is, is this going to be valuable for the customer? Is it going to be valuable for, you know, is that customer going to be a, a valuable customer for the organization you're working for? You know, is there a fit there? And then don't really think about themselves at all. And, 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 and therefore, you know, it's the, it's almost, I don't know, six cents like from a customer is like, hey, this person's not interested in just selling to me. This person's interested in helping me with my business and, and you know I, I i i encourage people that, that if you have a customer that is willing to buy something that you don't believe they're going to get real value from tell them hey i get that you you want to buy this but is this the right thing for you to do right now all right you know and that could be the customer is excited about doing something but they don't have the right structure in place internally to roll that out so they're going to buy it it's not going to be successful. And then that has, whether you like it or not, that has an impact on your long-term relationship with that person. You'd be much better off saying, Hey, uh, you know, right now, 
um, you know, I don't believe you're ready for this. I think that the, you know, the right environment for you to procure the service or the software or whatever, you're going to need to have a rollout plan. You're going to need to have somebody at your organization who's responsible for this problem. You're going to need to have et cetera, et cetera. And then therefore, you know, I don't want to sell this to you today. What I want to do is I want you to be my customer on this for the next 10 years, the next 15 years, whatever, whatever that period is. And, and therefore, um, I can't remember who it was. Um, I, I need to look this up. Um, I remember, you know, back in the nineties hearing that there was a, uh, a, a general manager of general motors in the U S who sometime, I think in the fifties or sixties or seventies, whatever it was, said something along the lines of that we shouldn't be interested in selling a car to somebody today. We should be interested in selling them the 15 cars that they're going to own in their lifetime. Right? And, and, and it's thinking about, you know, do you want a now relationship with your customers or do you want an, do you want a long-term relationship with your customers? And, and I think that, you know, for me, that's panned out. You know, I have people that I deal with today on behalf of LinkedIn that were that I have a 20 year relationship with in my career. And therefore, you know, having those interactions that are repeatable and scalable are important. So, uh, so always put the customer first, always do things that are, that are a win-win for your customer and your company. And then you don't have to worry about anything else that comes from that, because if you're doing those two things, that's going to make the difference. Salespeople who put themselves first may win in the short term, may be more successful in the short term, but those people, in my experience, are not successful in the medium to long term. Mm -hmm. It's recognizable, I think, in, in a lot of industries as well. Um, if you go to a sports car dealership, for example, uh, and you don't have the money to buy a sports car, they will still let you in and let you sit in the car because they know at some point you might be able to buy this sports car. And if you dream, if you have the vision that you want that car, you will do everything it takes to, to make it successful. Absolutely. If you, if you look back to all your years, um, uh, a, a totally honest question, like what did you dislike being a sales leader? Uh, what am I disliking being a sales leader? Um, I think I, I, I would... I would say that what I what I dislike in sales is for, is, is historical for me. Um, you, you know, when I uh, when I started in sales, uh, there was a lot of aggression. Uh, you know, like I would say, you know, managing true fear was pretty active in the eighties and nineties. You know the the, the, the Gordon Gecko years of you know greed is good and you know uh, negative competition between reps on the same team uh, the the you better perform or you're getting fired energy and and really that sort of um, the command and control environments and you know that was uh, that was how things were done and, and you know I'm 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 really happy to say that you know. In most organizations, uh, that's gone now. And uh, you know what I what, what I say to salespeople that you know I come across that are 
not working for LinkedIn and, and people who reach out to me for advice and say, hey, if you're a salesperson right now and you're in a command and control environment and your boss is managing through fear, here's my advice for you. Leave. Mm. Because if you're a good salesperson, there are so many companies that you can work for right now where you will be nurtured, you will be valued, and you will not be living in a culture of fear. Uh, go work for those companies because, um, and, I, and that's what I dislike the most is that you know that the management by fear is uh, is is not nice to do. It's not nice to experience, and also it's now the least effective form of management that you can get on the planet. True, <laughs> very true. Um, Liam, uh, we're, we're nearing the end of the episode, so I'm, I have one more question for you, which is, if I could give you a billboard at the side of the road, it's nothing related to sales right now, it's just a billboard at the side of the road and you could put anything on it, what would you put on that billboard? Um, I think that for me, I, 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 I you know, for, for to to send a message to the most amount of people possible in different scenarios. Um, I, I put, don't be afraid. It's probably not going to happen. And, you know, so many people, um, you know, worry about so many things that, that don't happen. And, and, and by the way, you know, it, it, it's advice I constantly give to myself, right? Is that, you know, it is, you know, live in the now, if it, you know, there's very few things that can happen to you that are totally disastrous, right? And, and you know, clearly, you know, um, if, if somebody's just being diagnosed with terminal cancer, that's a pretty thing. You should worry, you should, you should worry about that. But, mm -hmm. um, but putting things in context about, hey, life's too short to worry about, um, are you, you know, are stress yourself out. Am I going to hit my quota this quarter? Am I going to do this? Is this going to happen? Because in reality, if you write down all of the things that you worry about, um, then go back and look at that list. The vast majority of the things that people spend cycles worrying about, uh, they never happen. Mm -hmm. Or they do happen, and it's the best thing that ever happened to you. Okay. So, and that's the, that's the, the, that's the, that's, that's the other side. So live it, live, live, live in the now. Don't worry. It's it probably not going to happen. And if it happens, it happens. If it happens, it happens. Deal with things as they come along. With these words, uh, Liam, uh, I would love to thank you for joining me on the sound of sales and sharing your insights, um, on, on your career and, and how you, how you roll things. Thank you, Brian. It's been a pleasure to talk with you.